Man, what a great reminder. Um, We're not just singing songs up here. We're singing truths. Amen? We have a Savior that's paid it all. So I want you to uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. While you're turning there, I'm just so thankful for our uh, music ministry team. And uh, the variety that we have, the growth that we see there, uh, amazing voices, but also the commitment that they have to bring us before uh, the Father, to remind us about His truths and not just things that uh, we come up with on our own. Aren't you thankful for that? I'd encourage you at any time, if you uh, find an opportunity to write a note to some of these folks and uh, just encourage them in that ministry and let them know that's not a secondary thing. That's an important one. Um, We are in the second week of a short little series here called Made to Minister. Uh, It's it's a preview uh, in part to uh, the weekend that's coming up in a a short while. Um, But the intention isn't just to prep everybody for uh, a weekend. It's to remind us as a church what our calling is. We are called to minister to one another. All right. You guys agree with that? I just want you to turn to the people next to you, somebody next to you right now and say, I was made to minister to you. <laughs> All right, just, just one or two, okay? You were made to minister to the people around you. Uh, I, I hope that you turn to your spouse, Okay. Um, but also to the folks that are on uh, either side of you. Here's the thing that I would have you remember. When we talk about ministry one to another, uh, we're talking about verbally being present as well as physically being present. Uh, We're talking about actually entering into a relationship with other people that they might be blessed and that the Lord might be glorified. Our goal is that they would grow closer to the Lord through an interaction that they have with other believers. Um, This entire series, uh, we're not just going to try to to fill you up with some theological truths. We really do want you to grasp that vision that we even started the year with, uh, that we are called to continual servanthood, becoming less and less selfish, more and more selfless, as we engage each other. And so this is going to be a continuation of that thought. It's a theme we're going to pick up throughout the course of the year, but we're going to hone in on it here for the next few weeks. Galatians chapter 6. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Let's stand and read that together. Paul has just finished an amazing dissertation on what it means to be yielded to the Spirit, what the Spirit-filled life looks like. And he says, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work. Then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. 
for each one will bear his own load. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this also will he reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do you believe that's important? It is. You may be seated. Father, as we consider this passage, I pray that you would help us. Um, Help us to be able to see this week what our personal role is, how it is that we can enter in, how we can cause people to look to you, and how even in our own ministry we can look more like you, uh, more responsive, more willing to enter in, uh, more capable, not because of our skills, uh, but because of your word and your spirit. Help us to be yielded servants, and I pray you'd help us to see that this morning in Christ's name. Amen. In your notes, uh, in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, Paul Tripp writes, suppose God opens your eyes to a harvest of bad fruit in a friend's life. Perhaps it's a conflict in her marriage, a broken relationship, fears that are dominating her life, or a paralyzing discouragement. This struggling person reveals these things and asks for your help. Whatever the circumstances, your goal should be that God would use you to produce a harvest of good fruit in your friend, even though she may remain in the exact same situation with the exact same people. Now, now I, I normally don't have you underline anything other than Scripture, but that is an important phrase right there. Are you aware that there are times that God has saved you and allowed you to remain in a tough situation for his glory and for your good? Do you know that? He does not automatically pull you out. This is important. What if your situation stays the same? Is God still good? You are there to remind people that he is. However, one of the things you will quickly discover is that when most people seek change, they seldom have the heart in view. They want to change in their circumstances, change in the other person, or a change in their emotions. They think that if things would change, they would be better off. But when the focus is put only on the outward circumstances, the solutions are seldom more than temporary and superficial. Certainly it is true that elements in a situation often need to change, but you cannot stop there. Your goal must be to lead your friend to a deeper, fuller view of change. Your goal is to help her examine her heart and see the importance of change at that level. As you seek to help your friend, there are two things to hold on to. First, whatever you do must have the goal of heart change. Second, whatever you do must follow the example of the wonderful counselor. We're going to look at uh, those two things in reverse order. We're first going to look at... um, what it looks like to look like the wonderful counselor, and then what ingredients in a meeting need to take place in order to experience heart change. But there are four truths each of these four weeks uh, that are going to be front and center that we are assuming that you understand. I just want to restate those again from last week. 
But four assumptions that are made. First, every spirit-led believer is called and empowered to encourage others. You were made to minister. That's the assumption in the room. You already have all of the tools that you need to make an impact on another person. The Spirit of God's already given you that. Uh, second, everything that a believer needs to be successful in the Christian life is already in their possession. 2 Peter 1. Not only were you given a gift, not only were you given that ability uh, by the Lord the moment that you were saved, but you were also empowered in that by him. He hasn't left you to try and find your own energy. He didn't give you a gift and say, hey, go get the batteries somewhere else, right? Batteries were included. It's the Spirit of God. He's already given you all of the energy that you need to accomplish what it is he's handed to you to accomplish. He's given you all of that. Third assumption in the room is that the fact that we were made to minister does not imply that specialists are unimportant any more than learning first aid replaces doctors. We still need specialists, but we need a whole lot more than that, don't we? In order to encourage a world that is always scraping its knee, bumping into things and, and running into obstacles, we need a, a myriad of, of helpers and specialists are a part of that process. Finally, the call to care is a call to prepare. I just have two thoughts, because uh, there have been some concern that uh, are we just spending three or four weeks uh, trying to uh, prepare people for a conference? Um, that, that's not what our intention is. Uh, in fact, there are some people that are saying, well, what if I, I just don't feel ready? You might give me all the tools, but I don't feel like I can actually be an encouragement to somebody. I don't know if I'm, if, if I'm ready to launch into an encouraging relationship. And, and there's two things that I would have you consider. First of all, parenthood. Who here with children was ready for everything that parenthood required, right? Now, there's all different kinds of ways that you can get your heart ready and prepared. You're never financially ready for parenthood. You're never uh, physically ready for parenthood. Or if you wait until everything is perfectly ready, you're about at the end of readiness, right? Where now it was just a bother to add the kids into the mix. You're never ready, but here's the one thing. Once you have kids, once your family is growing, if you do not parent, you're negligent. If you don't enter in, if you don't participate, if you are not coming alongside them, now you've just abandoned these ones that need your help. You might say, well, I'm not fully qualified to be a parent. Nobody is. Nobody is. Yeah, there's the amen. Thank you, Lynn. Nobody's ready. But here's what I'm going to say. We are still called to it. You are called to minister to your neighbor. You are called to minister to other people. You've been called. You've been empowered. And if you do not bless people who the Spirit of God has laid on your heart, it's actually, actually negligence on your, heart, on your behalf. You need to enter in. Uh, a second thing that I would have you understand, just a, a different perspective on that same thing, is uh, I want you to consider the Aspen. If you were going to take a look at this here, this is actually part of, uh, uh, in Utah, what is called the uh, trembling giant. It's the world's largest organism. Uh, if you were going to try to be a tree, you know, if you were going to identify your personality or your strengths or what you want to be in life as a tree, there are some people who might want to be a sequoia. 
uh, that could be, you know, 375 feet tall. They are impressive individuals, those sequoias. Uh, you might be somebody who is focused on, uh, you know, your offspring. The Coco de Mar palm actually produces a 70-pound, uh, you know, coconut, whatever that thing is. 70-pound offspring. That's impressive. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> tree of life in Bahrain. It's actually a mesquite tree that's out in the center of the desert that there is no other life around it. They actually have this uh, whole shrine that's put up to this tree of life in Bahrain. You can look that up. It's out in the middle of a desert. Maybe you feel like your life is always centered in a desert-like experience and you're the only thing alive for miles. But what scripture actually continually compares us to uh, would be something that would be the connection that we see in an aspen. See, an aspen doesn't survive or, or thrive on its own. You're rarely going to see those. Uh, they're, they're not going to be handing those out. When gardeners are filling up your uh, place, if they bring aspens in, it's a lot like bringing in bamboo. Why? You have an aspen, it gets planted, but the roots grow out and they sprout other trees. And they sprout others, and they sprout others. In fact, this is considered, after there was a statement that a fungus in Oregon was the world's largest organism, a group of scientists got together and said, no, it's actually this aspen grove in Utah. 47,000 tree trunks are a part of one giant living organism there in Utah that they are studying. They can't find the origination tree or that centerpiece, but they know that they are all genetically linked, all a continuation of the tree that's next to them. Hundreds and hundreds of acres of one living organism. Now here's something that is significant. When a burn goes through an area and it's an aspen grove, that's there, everything else gets decimated and you've got to wait for seeds to be transported in or, or the heat has to cause uh, some kind of expression, uh, explosion and spreading of those seeds, but you still need uh, other contributing factors to help get that seed planted and watered and prepared, but not so with an aspen grove. After a burn, you actually will see springing up, this is from an aspen grove and a part of a burn that was there, but these are all the roots that are popping up and it, they sprout trees. Trees everywhere. It's one of the reasons you don't want one of those filthy trees in your gardening, all right? You decide, ah, I don't want that there anymore, and all of a sudden, there it is. My wife calls those, we had one like that, it's called the rumor weed at our house. It just never dies. Why is that impressive? Because uh, after a burn, it's the first to regenerate. It's based on its root. In fact, it gets its connection and its ability to survive from its root. That's what a believer is. Your connection and your ability to survive is found in the root, and the scripture tells us that our root is Jesus Christ. It's the word of God. Amen? Amen. So after a burn, what are you going to see? You're going to see this thriving culture, aspens. You're going to see believers, the first to arrive on the scene, the first to express new life. After there's been uh, destruction that's there, you're going to see these ones with a proper root that actually begin to flourish first. This is what Scripture is calling us to, is to remind us uh, that we are interconnected. You want to do damage to an aspen grove, you begin to attack one of those with some kind of poison, and it ends up poisoning a whole area because of their interconnection. We are connected. That's what Scripture indicates, and you don't have uh, the right to disconnect 
Uh, it, it may feel like the right thing for you, but it's unhealthy for everybody else that God has called you to bless. We're called to each other. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's consider very quickly how we can best help the people that are around us. How is it that you can best help the people that are around you? We have an acronym for you this morning. You can best help them through shapewear. All right? Shapewear, yes. I know what you're thinking. That's when a guy puts on a wetsuit, right? Enhances his shape. Shapewear for Christians, what is it? The first thing we want to consider is looking like the wonderful counselor. There is a shape that we actually have to take on. That shape uh, starts with the S there. It requires us to be spirit-guided. Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you would not be tempted. Now remember in the book of Galatians, that chapter just preceding this, he's already gone through what it looks like. The fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit uh, are different. They differ completely. He says the fruit of the flesh is evident, and he gives us a list. And then he says there is a fruit of the spirit, and then he begins to speak to those who are spiritual. You can identify whether or not you are in a place, a spiritual place, to be able to bless your neighbor. You just take a look at that list. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. He says, here's this whole list of things. If the Spirit of God is in you, these things are going to be evident. By the way, if those things aren't evident, you need to get on your knees and get right with the Lord. Amen? It's not just about um, changing your behavior, it is literally because you're not going to be settled. You're going to be in an uneven state. You're going to be in a place that's unhealthy. So you need to be spirit-guided. You who are spiritual, you've been responding to the Spirit of God. You've been walking by means of the Spirit. You have yielded to God's activity in your life, and you see that a friend of yours is in need. That need has been highlighted, Scripture indicates, by God himself. If you're walking by means of the Spirit and you notice that somebody else is struggling, then you are called to go alongside you who are spiritual. It doesn't say, get on the bat phone and call a professional. It says you. If you're walking by means of the Spirit and somebody is hurting, God sent you. You are the first responder. We need to be Spirit-guided, but also we need to be humble. Notice what it says, uh, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself so that you won't be tempted. Um, verse 3 here it says, for if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. When you think that you're going to enter into somebody's life because you're so amazing and you can correct their direction, you've just failed them. Remember, the only reason that you can be identified as spiritual is that the Spirit of God is directing your life. So if you're entering into your life, you are going to remind them that He is so amazing, He can change your life. You're trying to bless them with the Lord. It takes humility to do that. It's interesting, in uh, James chapter 4, probably just uh, when you're struggling with uh, battles, 
uh, irritations, quarrels. In fact, it uses two terms here. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts? It's actually little skirmishes in your life and prolonged battle plans. What is the source of these wars that are in you? Uh, It's all of your internal desires that rise up and take over. So what's the remedy for wanting things? What is the remedy for having a strong desire for stuff that won't satisfy you, that ultimately leads you to fight with the people around you and be filled with irritation? He goes through this process, and it's intriguing. Uh, in, In seven quick commands that he gives here, three of them are in the passive voice. Verse 7, it says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. That uh, submit... Uh, allow your laughter to be turned into mourning, and verse 10, humble, are all errors, passive imperatives. The rest of them are active imperatives. That means at the very beginning, he says, you allow yourself to be submitted. God has been touching your heart and saying on a regular basis, I need you to stop this. I need you to stop this. I need you to stop this. And what it says is, instead of you working out the battle plan, instead of you coming up with a great idea, it says you just allow yourself to submit. Give in to what the Lord would have you be about. When you give in, you're actually going to weep over how your attitude is opposite of the Lord's attitude. And then it says, allow yourself to be humbled. Allow yourself to stay in that state. Why? Because when you think that you're great and you start driving the boat, you always end up in the rocks. You end up in a mess. But then it says, actively resist the devil. Actively pursue these change of attitudes. There is something for you to do, but it starts with submitting and allowing God to have his way. Humility is allowing God to have his way. In Galatians 6, it requires a humble person, somebody who does not think that they are something when they are nothing. They think everything of the Lord. But also they're accountable. Verse 1 and 4 says to consider yourself, looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. But each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting with regard to himself alone. You need to be accountable for what it is that you are doing and what you are producing. Uh, There's an interesting story by Bret Hart written in uh, 1868 called The Luck of Roaring Camp. And in there, there was a camp just full of men, a mining camp, and there was only one gal, and she had a, uh, uh, a boy and then died, promptly died right afterwards. And all these men are left with a baby in camp. And they named him, I think his name was Thomas, Thomas Luck, because uh, they felt it was good luck that a baby could survive in camp. But then they began to look at what they had given him. They had some old mining boxes, and they had some old dirty clothes, and they had unwashed hands, and they'd been living life in camp just in a complete mess. And so they began to look around uh, at all of the the different supplies, and they started by washing their hands. And then they ordered a, a decent crib, and they got him some actual clothes and some, uh, some blankets that were clean. 
And they said that uh, when they began, they just started because they wanted to take care of this boy. They began to eat proper meals. They began to come home at time. They watched him in shifts. And the next thing that they knew, the entire camp had completely transformed because this little baby boy had been born and placed in their midst and they all wanted to be accountable. And because they were addressing the needs of this little one, it actually transformed them. They began to look differently because they thought it is only appropriate for me to meet his needs if I look this way or present this way or help in this way. And they made themselves accountable and the transformation in the camp could be seen. When you begin to help people other than yourself, when you are no longer just thinking of yourself and you begin to enter in, there is an accountability process that changes you. But you need to be willingly accountable in order to be a blessing. Spirit-guided, humble, accountable, also patient. Says that we need to be patient. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. The gentleness that is required is extreme. I'm, I'm reminded of the story of a farmer. He had gone out and um, looked at his crops. They were failing. And so he goes back to the banker and he goes, man, I've got some bad news and some good news. And the banker goes, all right, well, hit me with it. And he says, well, the, the crops are so bad this year. That mortgage I took out of my house, I'm not going to be able to pay it. He said, in fact, the, the, it's been so bad this year. You know, I asked for some money to get uh, brand new machinery. I'm not going to be able to pay for that. I asked for an advance to be able to help the help. Uh, I'm not going to be able to pay that back. He says, uh, I did ask for some money for seed and for fertilizer, but not going to be able to pay that back either. And the banker looks at him and goes, well, that, that's really some bad news. A hit to you is a hit to me. He goes, well, what's the good news? And he says, well, the good news is I'm still going to do business with you next year. You ever have a friend like that? There was a story of a lady who was considering a, a work relationship and she was struggling with it. In fact, it was just an honest recounting. It was uh, off of a blog and she said, I had just told somebody that I was irritated about something in our work relationship and she had said I, I uh, had purchased as a gift for somebody a full mirror that was going to go uh, in one of their work offices, but there was a little scratch at the top end of it. And so she took this back to the place where uh, she had bought it. It was actually a glass uh, place. And so she said, hey, this thing has a flaw in it. I want to return it and, uh, and get a different one. So they said, okay, and they received that back in. And then as she is telling them exactly what she wants to, to replace this gift it was going to be for another office, uh, she hears this smashing in the background. And she goes, what is that? And they say, well, uh, every time that we get a returned mirror, return like this, we just smash it so it doesn't go back out again. It's incomplete. It's flawed. Completely destroyed it. And she said there really literally was only a tiny scratch, and I was just being nitpicky and picking that out, but I was shocked at how final that smashing was. Have you ever considered that sometimes when we enter into somebody else's life, instead of being patient, we end up being nitpicky? And we find one little flaw and we attack that. And then finally, it's as if we're sending the signal to that individual. You know what? We should just smash your whole life and start over. If people continually are picking up that thread from your interaction with them, it's possible that you're not patient. 
If we're going to be looking like the wonderful counselor, we've got to be spirit-guided, humble, accountable, patient, but also we've got to enter in. We've got to enter in. Uh, that idea is being incarnational. The picture in Scripture of the incarnation is that the living God comes out of time and space. He had a perfectly great dwelling place, right? But he moves into our space. He moves into a humble abode. He becomes nothing on our behalf in order that he might meet not just a need that we thought we had, but a supernatural need. He met our sin issue at its root. He took care of something we weren't even aware we needed taken care of. He became uh, our Messiah, our Savior, our substitute. He asks us now to be ambassadors and to enter in the same way. Uh, there's a, a company, Van Woof uh, Bicycles. They kept having all, all their bicycles. About 80% of their sales are online, a popular uh, bicycle company, and they kept having the bicycles arrive destroyed. And so their owner came up with a genius plan. He actually put the bicycle on the front, but he, put a, he said, you know, uh, big screen TVs always arrive safely. And so he put a picture of a big screen TV on there, which is not in the box. And so delivery people think that there's a big screen TV on there with just a picture of a bike, but it's actually a bike with a picture of a TV behind it. And his bicycles have been showing up in perfect condition because people consider the box differently. They see it differently than just the contents that are on the inside. Now this works both ways. But how is it that we are supposed to treat individuals? We're not supposed to treat them as we think that they are. We're supposed to see something that is much bigger, much more precious. A call of God. This is the, the child of the Father that we're interacting with. This is somebody that God cares about. And how we treat them should be reflective of who it is that has sent us. We treat them. We look at that box. We look at that person differently as more precious than how we've maybe been treating them. The incarnation enters in not just so that we'll be impressed with God, but it enters in because he values us differently than we even value ourselves. We need to make sure we look like the wonderful counselor. But the other part of shapewear is the word wear. A counselor, mentor, discipler, friend must know what to focus on. You've got to know what you're going to focus on if they're going to be healed. First thing that uh, I want you to notice here is that you focus on the Word of God. It's implied, actually, in verse 6, because uh, it says, If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are uh, spiritual, restore them, bear one another's burdens. Each one must examine his own work, for each one will bear his own load. And in verse 6 it says, For the one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with one who teaches him. Uh, this isn't just talking about a relationship with you and, and a pastor. It's somebody who has been brought the Word of God. That is the medicine that helps us become aware of what it is that uh, we are uh, messed up in. It's the thing that highlights the change that needs to happen. It's the Word of God. And each one who is taught the Word is to share in all good things. That actual idea is not a financial remuneration. It's actually talking about having life experiences together. If you are... Um, receiving the word from somebody. If somebody is helping to encourage you, you go and you have life together. You get in the yoke together. You participate in life outside the four walls of the church. You're not going to a class. 
You are entering into life and saying, I'm going to walk with you through these stages of growth. I'm going to participate with you. And the Word of God is the thing that binds you together. We're going to talk about God's Word, and we're both together under it. We're both going to be accountable to it. We're both going to be transparent because of it. The one who has taught the Word is to share all good things. The Word of God needs to be central. In Hebrews 4, the Scripture declares that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. In Fundamentals of the Faith, we cover this. It's the idea that it is continually moving, and it knows precisely where it is, that it should cut and remove in order that the cancer or the problem would be removed and infection would not set in. It is absolutely the perfect medicine, the perfect thing to remove that which is staining or harming the individual. It starts with the Word of God. But a second thing that we need to have, that we need to focus on, is eternal life. Verse 8 is, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Eternal life in Scripture, by the way, we, t- we tend to just focus on a moment and we look at eternity. And so when we think of eternal life, we think, well, I'm saved. So when I die, I'm going to be with God. I'm going to be in heaven. And we oversimplify it that way. But whenever Christ is talking about abundant life or eternal life, he's not just talking about that moment that we enter heaven and then everything up until that is just kind of being scrappy and staying tough, Right. No, he's actually saying that eternal life is a a quality of life that starts right now. A quality of life that starts the moment that you get saved and leads to continual transformation. Uh, You are in a sanctification process. God is continually getting rid of the garbage in your life and putting you into a place where you look more and more like his son. That eternal quality of life is not just so that you'll look better to others or you'll be more righteous. It's not just trying to change your behavior. It's changing your entire experience in life. There is a quality of life that is so far superior, so settling, so filled with peace, so filled with connection, and you want to give that to other people, and that quality of life is available right now. Do you believe it? We start with the Word of God, but then we present to people eternal life that will lead to transformation. But when we talk about eternal life and the quality of life that leads to joy, we also have to talk about areas where we go astray. So the Word of God, eternal life, and then we focus on astray or or thinking errors and actions that will lead you away from God. You know, we all have a list of uh, sins that we think are prominent in the world, but uh, I just want you to think about first world problems. Somebody made a short list of first world problems recently, and it just would, uh, stuck in my head. We tend to get hyper-focused on all of the big things, but uh, problems that we talk about, uh, we blog about, that we will write to other people about, uh, blogging's not really a thing, but you might send a little picture and snap some pithy statement about this. First world problem, when you say something on social media which you think is really clever, but no one likes it. That's a first world problem, isn't it? When your kids put the dishes in the dishwasher before they unload it, and now you have to play the game of which one is clean, that's a first world problem. When you run out of hot water for the shower because someone else took too long, right? They're not having that same problem in Africa, folks, all right? 
That's a first world problem. When you and your spouse can't agree what temperature to keep the thermostat, first world. When your phone battery dies before you can get home to charge it. Now, I know you all have chargers in your cars or something in, you know, within short distance to recharge that, but that's a first world problem. When you're eating chips and you're crunching too loudly to hear the TV and don't know where the remote is, <laughs> first world problem. Yes, it's football season. When your chicken tenders from the drive-thru are uh, tasty, they're all present, but they forgot the dipping sauce. First world problems. It's not just great big problems that we're dealing with also. Do you know that we have thinking errors and problems, things that irritate us on a daily basis that really have nothing to do with spirituality? But the Word of God also speaks to our maturity. What are the things that you hyper-focus on that lead you astray from God's very best, that lead you away from connection, that lead you away from proper communication? Sometimes it's little. Sometimes it's useless, and the Word of God will bring us back around to say, are we glorifying Christ? Will this matter in eternity? That's a question that gets brought up in our home all the time. Christina's been great about bringing that up. All right, we're going to worry about this, but will this actually matter in eternity? If not, let's not sweat it. There are things that will matter in eternity. We better make those things the majority in our mind. They, they should take up more space. Word of God, eternal life, areas where we've gone astray, and finally, restoration. Restoration. This is where it begins and ends. Verse 1, brethren, if anyone is caught in a trespass, uh, that's the idea that they are quickly going off the cart. And, and it actually has... Uh, in the original language, the idea of being shocked that they're going off. Even though the trespass might be something that they are prone towards, every single time we're shocked. Oh no, here they end up again in the weeds and in a mess. If anyone's caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's tenderly laying out the facts. Restoration is always the goal. Do you know that restoration is always the goal? It's restoration not being right. Restoration. The goal is to get them back in a right situation with the Lord. Uh, Liv Strong has a, a six-step process for putting a, a joint that is out of socket back into place. Six steps. I'm thinking this is one time where you need an expert. They actually tell you how you can actually lift uh, an elbow on a, a shoulder that's been out of joint uh, what the process is to uh, uh, massage certain types of muscles and be able to pop that back into joint and how it is that you can slide it if it's the first time that it's happened. Some of you are getting a little queasy, aren't you? Feeling unnerved. I'm not going to show you any pictures. Don't look up there. It could be overwhelming. But the key thing that they say at every single stage is do not proceed if they're screaming. Okay. If they're shouting and screaming, don't keep going. This can be done with gentleness. There's a process in which you can numb that pain and help them settle it back in so that you don't do more damage in the process. This isn't just a term that was used for restoring a, a bone that was out of joint, though. It was also one that was used for the repair of fishing nets. And it was the repair of a fishing net by a fisherman knowing that the next day his livelihood depended on that net. So it's seeing value in the net. It's not just 
uh, a process where you're trying to make it look good again. Uh, it, it's not that you're going to get this net fixed up and then retire it, right? Oh, no, it's got a tear in it. That's it. It's done. That would be throwing away something that's useful. It, it's not that uh, uh, you're going to return it, okay? Oh, this isn't working out. I'm going to send it back. It's not that you're going to repurpose it. Well, it's got a hole in it. Now it's a decoration for the wall, right, at the diner. No. A fisherman would repair that knowing that it has great usefulness. It still has years of life in it. It has a hole or a tear because of something that was on the seafloor that it encountered. But there is still great usefulness. I'm going to repair this with the intention, not just that it would look good, uh, but that it would once again be useful. You are approaching people understanding that they have incredible usefulness and incredible value to the living God, and you are helping them to go back out and gather in fish again. That's the goal. You are reminding them that they have a purpose. And you're stitching them together. You are saying, hey, this isn't just so that we can stay stagnant. We're not going to put you in some, some uh, quarantine. You are actually getting repaired and prepared to go back out into the work. You have value. Restoration is always the goal. Every single person who has ever sinned has value. Do you say amen to that? You have value. And God's intention is that you would be useful. The key thing to remember through all of this is that you are not the medicine. We are called as individuals to help people apply the medicine, the Word of God, to respond to the chief medic, the Spirit of God. We are called to bring them into his presence, but we are not the medicine. We can get confused sometimes and assume that we're the Spirit of God. We're not. Don't cause people to run when they see you coming because you've always got an answer for them. You, you don't have to corral them. The Spirit of God will do that. We are called to bring them into right alignment. If they're saying, man, I want this help, you bring them into right alignment with the Lord through these things, the Word of God focusing on eternal life, looking at where they've gone astray, and finding out a way to help them be restored. But it's not you that does the fixing. It's the Lord, if any fixing happens at all. Amen? It's all about Him. The real question uh, for us is not whether or not those things are in Scripture. I, I think that those things are evident. In fact, I think that this is an easy lesson to teach because of that. The real question is, how are we going to apply it? You actually have folks right now that are sitting around you that may need this medicine. Who is it that the Spirit of God has laid on your heart that you need to go to? See, I, I, I believe that if we're talking about something that God cares about, and he says that I've empowered it, and I've made every single person to minister, and I've called you to be a participant in these things, that that means the Spirit of God is also going to be laying his finger on your heart saying, hey, this is why I want you to be yielded to me. This is why I want you to get rid of those things in your life. This is why, because I have that individual for you to go to. Who is it? that you are being called to go to this week. Now, this is what I want you to do. This is your whole application this morning. I want you to think about those names. And it says, do good to all, but especially to the household of faith. It may be that it's your neighbor, your lost coworker, an extended family member, but the Lord has put you in a place to impact them, and he's put them on your heart. If you need to, write that name down. 
But I think the Lord will take care of keeping you reminded. You just admit between you and the Lord, this is the person you've called me to, and then decide what you're going to do. Father, we ask that you would help us. Help us to be yielded, help us to be focused, and I pray, Father, that you would help us to be um, impressed with the task you've given us. You made us to minister to one another, and I pray that you would help us to find our fulfillment in that task. Help us to be a blessing to others that you've called us to meet. Help us to meet them on their terms, to look more and more like the Savior and less and less like ourselves. Father, most of all, help us to trust that you ultimately are the medicine that they need, your word, your heart, your spirit, not us. We just bring them to that place where they see you for who you are. Give us strength to accomplish this task in Christ's name. Amen.